John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com. Promo code John Z. This is episode number 111 of the Individual One podcast. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a true conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Because this is episode number 111, that's 111, for those of you who aren't particularly good at math, uh, and this is the Individual One Podcast, we thought we'd have a little bit of fun, do this a little bit differently in this particular episode. We're going to be doing an Ask John Anything version of the program after I get through all the latest news, and we've got a lot of really uh, good and interesting questions from the audience, so make sure you uh, stay tuned to that. But first... Uh, we will go through the, the latest news of the last week. Obviously, race issues continue to dominate here in the United States. Boy, that escalated quickly. Uh, the president, uh, Donald Trump, yesterday signed an executive order, which had some vague, although I guess uh, significant, uh, elements of it regarding uh, police transparency and curtailing uh, potential abuses by police. It seemed more symbolic uh, than anything else, it, it was provoked by a series of events, including, uh, I guess indirectly, there was another uh, killing of a black man, this time in Atlanta, next to a Wendy's, in a, a situation that was caught on tape uh, from multiple angles, which I, I thought was far, far, far more ambiguous than the rioters who ended up burning down the Wendy's in Atlanta thought that it was, but a, a very, very unfortunate situation uh, that started uh, basically just as a, a DUI arrest that was rather docile on both sides and quickly escalated uh, when the the black man resisted arrest, uh, took the the taser of the police officer, and then and ended up running away, turned uh, with the, the taser and uh, looked like he was shooting the taser at the police officer as he was running away. The second police officer shot him in the back twice, and he ended up uh, dying. Uh, in a normal circumstance where we were still looking at these things rationally, uh, that, that uh, situation probably would not have caused uh, much social unrest. But we've long past left the gravitational pull of the earth, and now everything is an outrage. Everything it makes the police look bad. Uh, anything involving a black person is automatically uh, horrendous and inherently racist, even if there are other possible explanations for that. That's uh, the way things are currently in the United States, and it doesn't appear as if that's going to change anytime soon. And it's and it's pervading every element of society. I mean, every single element. And let me give you an example that may not seem 
all that relevant, all that significant, but I actually think is maybe one of the more obvious signs that Donald Trump is in big, big trouble for re-election. And, and hear me out on this. This, has, this is a very strange story that is out of the sports world where a college football coach by the name of Mike Gundy, who is a controversial figure, he's outspoken, he's clearly a conservative, he's the head football coach at Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State is not just in a very conservative state, Oklahoma, uh, but the football program and the sports program there uh, has been funded by a guy by the name of T. Boone Pickens, uh, who is no longer with us. He passed away, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Uh, but this guy was as conservative as it gets. So we're talking about the heart of conservatism here. If a conservative is ever going to be safe in any place in America, it's going to be Oklahoma and Oklahoma State sports. And Mike Gundy uh, was was photographed in a, on a fishing trip, a private fishing trip, wearing the T-shirt of the One America News Network. Now, the One American News Network, which is now Donald Trump's favorite news network. Correct. uh, Is the network that is trying to brand itself as to the right of Fox News Channel. Uh, And uh, and they so they basically, uh, you know, if if Fox News Channel is giving Trump fellatio, uh, they're going even further than Fox News Channel and what they're willing to and able to do for Donald Trump on a regular basis. Correct. Because that's their their brand. That's their audience. They will they are as a they are the ultimate cult. I mean their audience, I mean come on. I love the poorly educated. And I've actually been to the One America News Network on a couple of different occasions before they got on the whole Trump train and they were f- trying to figure out what the heck they were. Uh, I've been on that uh, their shows a couple of different times. The place is a joke. I mean, it's a literal joke. It's in a uh, a dingy strip mall outside of San Diego, California. And it's, you know, the offices are incredibly small. They're third rate. I mean, the idea that this is a national network of any note is absurd. I mean, it's just... It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, but Trump has tried to promote them as a way of keeping Fox News Channel in line by pretending they have some sort of competition. Well, Gundy somehow got a T-shirt from One American News Network, and he's photographed on this fishing trip. And, uh, and you know, you would think this is not a big deal. I mean, first of all, on a fishing trip, uh, you know, you're on a private fishing trip. Who the frick cares what the hell you're wearing? But you're wearing the, the dingiest thing you have. You're fishing, right? You, you're, you're not making a political statement. This is something, okay, I got, someone gave this to me. I don't care if this gets dirty. I'll wear this. He gets photographed. It goes online, and one of his star players, who happens to be black, tweets about it and is outraged and threatens a boycott of Oklahoma State sports, unless something is done about Mike Gundy wearing a One America News Network T-shirt? What? What? Boy, that escalated quickly. Uh, okay, so um, now in normal, in the normal world, in the old world, uh, the coach would be in charge here, and the coach would uh, take the player uh, aside and say, uh, dude, uh, you're wrong. This is totally the wrong way to handle it. Uh, you apologize, you take the tweet down, and this is the last we hear of it. That's what would have happened, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, for sure, 15 years ago, 100% in Oklahoma. But that's not the way we, we live anymore. We're living in a world where a white coach has absolutely no power whatsoever, no matter how successful they are, no matter what the geography or the politics of the location is. No, 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 no. Uh, we now have the the... the players are running the show, especially if they happen to be black, because we live in a world where social media is done by popularity. And of course, every woke media person is retweeting, uh, you know, the black athlete, which who is inherently right. And long story short, uh, there was a first attempt by Gundy to do something somewhat reasonable, which was they issued a joint video where they both kind of took responsibility and the, the player said he shouldn't have gone down that path and done it that way. And the coach said he learned stuff. And, and you know what? That would have been distasteful 
you know, under normal circumstances. But under these circumstances, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. You got to do what you got to do to make this go away. But no, the the liberal Twitter mob, uh, once they smell blood, once they they see blood, uh, they do not back off. That's not good enough for them. No, though, they want death and destruction. So eventually, Gundy was forced to issue a second statement, which was a full-on apology, an apology for wearing a one America News t-shirt. You cannot be serious! Okay, okay now, why is this relevant? Uh, this is symbolic as uh, of a number of things, but it is mostly symbolic of the fact that if this is happening, even in Oklahoma, if Donald Trump is so toxic that uh, because a news network he endorses... So, so a news network he endorses becomes so toxic by virtue of him touching it that a successful football coach in Oklahoma can't wear their T-shirt in a, on a private fishing trip without having almost lost his job. And by the way, there were major sports figures and, and commentators calling for his head calling for his job he may who knows he may still lose his job so my point in all this is that's not an environment in which donald trump is going to get reelected, folks correct i'm sorry that that's just not going to happen i mean unless an earthquake occurs which could happen any day uh but when that's happening in oklahoma what that tells me is that white people have surrendered white people have waved the white flag even in hotbeds of conservatism. And we're seeing, and I'm going to get to this later on, we're seeing polling to that effect. I wrote a column about this, which you can find at our uh, Twitter feed, which is at Individual One Pod, about how Trump has lost uh, his greatest uh, political superpower. With me, it's just works, you know, it's magic. No, the magic is gone. Because that magic was always white fear of political correctness going too far. And there's just not enough of those white people left. And what happened to Gundy is a perfect example of that. Uh, and what happened, you know, another to me, the Gundy situation combined with what we talked about last week, the Buffalo circumstance with the two police officers getting fired and charged over the situation involving the 75 year old man who I believe exaggerated. Uh, the impact of their push and then ends up losing his balance, falling, hitting his head and the video being misinterpreted. Trump steps in in that situation. And I believe he is mostly on the side of right there. I don't I think he went too far with the whole what the guy was doing with his phone and whether or not he was tracing uh, the police officer's information. And that's not been proven to my knowledge. And, you know, it's, it's way more conspiratorial than I would like to have anybody go because I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do want to know what the hell he was doing with his phone. Bottom line is, in a normal situation, when the president steps in and says, I think an injustice has been done here, that would at the very least enhance the cause of the police officers. And in this case, the exact opposite seemed to happen. In this case, there was no rallying or hardly any rallying around Trump, even in the right wing media. And by and large, he essentially discredited their case. He's become that toxic. So when you combine those two things happening all within essentially a week's period of time, that's not the environment in which Donald Trump can be reelected, barring some really extraordinary circumstances, which still could happen. Uh, I've always said the left is overplaying their hand. They will overplay their hand. But as my column indicates, I'm no longer positive that they can overplay their hand too much because their hand right now is just that good. And boy, they, I mean, they're still going as far as they can. I mean, they're going to test this this premise to the ultimate degree. Uh, you know, just yesterday, uh, UNLV University in Nevada took down their mascot, the Rebel. What the hell has anything to do with any of this? I have no idea. Uh, they've been you know, a storied basketball program nicknamed the Running Rebels. But now the Rebel mascot the statue has been taken down. Uh, Aunt Jemima ha is now history. 
uh, for the uh, maple syrup uh, brand, which has been in existence for well over 100 years. Iconic brand for maple syrup. Aunt Jemima is now considered uh, too uh, racist. Uh, the next thing they're going to go after, and this is big, this goes back to football, is the Washington Redskins uh, nickname. Uh, that had been a, a cause for a couple of years among liberals. They came close to getting the Washington Redskins to be forced to change their iconic nickname. Now that's back in, in full force somehow, having no relevance at all to anything that's going on actually in the world. But, hey, uh, liberals see blood, they smell blood, and now they're going in uh, for the kill. And it looks to me as if eventually the way things are going, the Washington Redskins are no longer going to be called the Washington Redskins. Is there a threshold beyond? Beyond which white America is not going to put up with this and they'll start fighting back. I, I used to think there was. I'm no longer 100 percent convinced of that, I, I, at least not to the to enough degree where it's going to matter. Uh, you know, because remember, Trump's margins in the Electoral College are incredibly small from 2016. I mean, he likes to brag that he won this record victory. It was not a record victory in any way, shape, or form. Uh, less than 100,000 votes flipped in the other direction in three states, and we're not even talking about this today. Uh, I mean, he's not president. Hillary's president. The world, the whole world is totally different, probably much more for the good in many, many ways, uh, even though I'm a conservative and, and had disdain for Hillary Clinton. But we would not been, be in any way, shape, or form in any of these situations, had that uh, been the way history went. And the conservative movement would be in a hell of a lot better shape right now. Hell of a lot better shape if, if things had worked out that way. Because uh, Trump is on the verge of destroying conservatism, if he hasn't already, uh, for eternity because of all of this. And, and, l- and let me give you a good, good example of how much trouble conservatism is in. The Supreme Court. Now, we, you know, I keep being told by Trump fans that, well, you know what, he hasn't done as much as we hoped on in some areas. After all, there's no wall. And, you know, he's spending uh, more than anyone other president has ever spent. And, you know, there's all sorts of other things that have not been uh, conservative. But, uh, but at least the judges, at least the judges, my gosh, we have stacked the federal judiciary with so many good judges that we're going to be we're going to be safe from liberal insanity for a generation because of Donald Trump. That's that's the the claim that his uh, cult members like to to make. And I see this all the time on Twitter. People, that's the big response. I mean, it even became, uh, you know, a catchphrase early on in the Trump presidency. Whenever something would go wrong, uh, people would say, but what about Gorsuch? You know, Gorsuch, you know, we, we, we did this for Gorsuch because, you know, obviously there would not have been a Gorsuch uh, uh, Supreme Court pick if Trump had not uh, defeated Hillary Clinton. Well, guess what just happened? The Supreme Court ruled that there should be federal protection on the basis of sexuality when it comes to employment. Now, this is a classic situation, and this is really so much of where America has gone now, where what feels good is deemed to be good. What seems good, what what uh, appeals to our basic sense of fairness, uh, that's what rules the day now, especially if it's popular. And I have absolutely nothing against people because of their sexuality. I am 100% in favor of everyone being treated absolutely equally. However, when you rule that the federal government is providing protection to people in employment based upon sexuality, there's the theory of that, and then there's the real-world impact of that. And leading the charge, writing the opinion uh, for this decision was, in fact, Justice Gorsuch. Of course, Justice Roberts went along because Justice Roberts always goes along with whatever is popular, whatever the media wants on the big cases. Now, Sam Alito, uh, he was very upset about this. Clarence Thomas dissented, as did Brett Kavanaugh. And I believe that they were right. Of course, they get painted as somehow they are bigoted and they're against gay people or transgendered people. And no, that's not the problem here. The problem is that when you give a group extra protection under the law in the real world, what's going to happen is this. Two things, probably. Uh, for one, for sure. People are going to be far, far, far more hesitant to fire anybody who is gay or transgendered. That's just a fact. 
Now, you might say that's good because, in the, you know, somehow we, you know, without proof, uh, we're presuming that gay people and transgender people were being summarily fired with no ramifications simply because they were gay or transgendered. I've seen zero evidence of that. Zero. Uh, but, but the reality is we live in an incredibly fearful society. Big business especially is so afraid of lawsuits more than anything else in the world. And so everyone will do anything they can to avoid such a thing. Well, now you've just handed a weapon to every single gay and transgendered person who is employed because now they can easily say, well, you fired me because of my sexuality and now I'm going to sue you and now I have federal protection. And that is going to cause all sorts of screwed up decisions in the employment world. One of the ways it might create a screwed up decision in an employment world, and I don't know anymore. I mean, I, in, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said for sure this is the case, but we might be living in a world that's so fearful, maybe this won't happen. But there is certainly the possibility that this is what will be the result. When people are deciding who to hire and they look at all these protected groups, they're going to be less likely to hire someone in a protected group because they know that makes them far more difficult to fire. So ironically, in, in, there is at least a theoretical argument here that you might end up being in a situation where gay people are, or transgender people are hired at a lower rate because they have this extra protection. Now, we won't know for sure how this is all going to work out. Of course, you know, even then, there's still the possibility of lawsuits. You know, because if you don't hire enough gay or transgender people, now, now you're vulnerable to lawsuits too. The bottom line is that all of this is an antithetical to the concept of America, which was equal opportunity, not equal outcome. That, 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 to me, has always been an incredibly important distinction. Not equal outcome. We are a country of equal opportunity. Now, are we living in a perfect world? Obviously not. Obviously not. Uh, however, uh, stunting our growth towards uh, something close to a, 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 a colorblind society or a society that does not have inherent biases against people who are different than them is not helpful. It might make us feel better in the short run, but it's not helpful. But the, the Supreme Court decision to me was symbolic of just how much in disarray conservatism really is. This is not a conservative Supreme Court, and this is supposed to be the area where Trump has helped the most when it comes to the issue of conservatism. But we're seeing all sorts of insanity throughout the country. The media won't tell you much about this, but my gosh, we still have a city in America, Seattle, Washington, that has essentially had its downtown taken over by a bunch of anarchists with this whole Chaz society or country or whatever they're calling it. And we're just going to pretend that that's not going on. Now, Trump is starting to try to bring attention to the issue because I do think it is the ultimate example of liberal insanity and overreach. And that's basically his only shot now. I mean, his only shot really, barring a massive earthquake news event, uh, is uh, for some people out there in key states to go, okay, hold on, wait a minute. This is going too far. Do I really want to live in a situation that's close to what's going on in downtown Seattle? But the news media is basically ignoring it, and to the extent that they're not ignoring it, uh, they're downplaying it as much as possible because I think even they realize that this is not a good narrative for their side. And let's be clear, uh, with the vast majority of the mainstream news media, it's about sides now. It, it's no longer about journalism. It's no longer about the truth. It's about sides. It's about agenda. It's about making, you know, even the New York Times now is essentially run by liberals on Twitter. I mean, that's, a, that's not even an exaggeration anymore. That's just that's just a flat out fact. They they routinely retract things, uh, major uh, elements of the newspaper. If if liberals on Twitter don't like it, they fire people if they make mistakes by upsetting liberals on Twitter. This is the the, the paper of record in the United States of America. You cannot be serious. That's where we are now, and uh, and it's not going to get any better. And um, you know. 
they I always thought that they would be more conflicted about whether or not they want uh, Trump reelected because obviously he is good for content and he is good for ratings. But so far as this campaign has gotten uh, close to, to really getting into the depths of it, when we're only a few months away from November, it, it does appear as if they have decided. They've decided, you know what, we'll deal with the, the ratings and content issue later. Uh, we're just going to do everything we possibly can to get rid of Trump, for better or for worse. I mean, I understand, you know, <laughs> frankly, I wish they had never enabled his initial campaign back in 2016 and we wouldn't have to be dealing with all this bull crap. Uh, but this is where we are. And as far as other news stories, uh, John Bolton's book apparently is going to be coming out, uh, although the DOJ is desperately uh, uh, trying to stop that from happening. I don't know if they're going to be able to or not. I I doubt it. Uh, But what I found interesting about the book is it's basically exactly as I predicted to you uh, would happen back when it was being theorized that John Bolton would testify during impeachment, that he would bail, that he would try to protect him his book from from uh, being in a situation where he had already revealed all of his great big secrets about his time in the White House as the national security advisor. Uh, I have now disdain for John Bolton. John Bolton is a guy who I used to like. In fact, I even complimented him uh, to, you know, to his face in a question at a conservative event here in Southern California several years ago. Uh, ironically enough, since we tend to talk about this a lot on the program, I, I uh, even said to him that he was the last guy in the Bush administration with any balls. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, and he uh, laughed and agreed with that. Uh, well, you know, as, as it always happens with old men, they, they white men especially, they lose their balls. And uh, John Bolton lost his balls, or at least he put them in his book. Uh, and now, apparently, according to the book, uh, he's saying that impeachment was too narrow, that that's the problem with impeachment, that it's, it, was, it was too narrow and that he, his conscience is clear. Apparently, he sleeps well at night because he knows that his testimony wouldn't have made any difference anyway. What? What? You cannot be serious. Um, John Bolton, that's not how a conscience works. A conscience works. You do the right thing regardless of what the outcome is going to be, regardless of what the impact is. That's not for you to decide. I mean, I I don't disagree that that's the most likely outcome, that that Trump was never going to be removed. But had you testified, it would have, first of all, given a lot more cover to Mitt Romney to do the right thing. And it might have given cover to a couple of other Republicans to do the right thing, which would have changed the entire view of history of that impeachment. All these things are connected. You can't just decide, well, you know what? My piece of the puzzle wasn't enough to change the outcome. So therefore, uh, my conscience is clear that I wimped out and and did not testify in the impeachment trial, even though I was really just saving my good stuff for a book. Uh, and my guess is that uh, the book sales will not do well because he, he he's not appealed to any cult. That's how books work now. You have to appeal to a cult. And he certainly is not appealing to the Trump cult. And the liberal woke uh, the liberal woke cult is not happy with him at all. So I don't know who the the buyers of this book are. I mean, I'm sure some people will buy it, but and it'll get a lot of media coverage. But I doubt it'll do uh, particularly well when it comes uh, to book sales. As far as the virus is going, uh, now we've got a lot of interesting things going on here, many of which I predicted. Uh, I would have to say that maybe my best prediction about the virus so far it came a month ago. When I, in great detail on this podcast, told you that here in the United States, we are about to see a divergence from new cases, the correlation between new cases and deaths on a daily basis. I made a very detailed argument and did so on a couple different occasions about why I believe this to be the case. And that has turned out to be 100 percent accurate. We've never seen more uh, of a divergence between the number of new cases on a daily basis and the number of deaths. The number of new cases is actually increasing. and Some are saying at an alarming rate. I, I don't necessarily agree with that nationally, although I will agree that in certain states there is an increase that is concerning, specifically in the state of Arizona. I would say that Arizona is the state I am by far the most concerned about right now uh, because you cannot explain it with regard 
uh, to uh, a massive population. While there has been increased testing, it hasn't been uh, you know, astronomically increased. Obviously, Arizona is one of the hottest states in the country right now. And though some people are starting to theorize that that might actually be working in favor of the virus because more and more people are inside instead of outside. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a, that's a theory that at least uh, I think deserves some consideration. But uh, we're seeing an, an increased number of, of new cases nationally, but the number of deaths continues to go down on a weekly basis. Had we been told, let's pre- forget about new cases for a second, right? If we just pretend that, uh, that the new case numbers are irrelevant for a moment, if you have been told that in uh, early June that the number of deaths in the United States of America would be continually to go down on a weekly basis, and that right now, as of this moment, our seven-day daily average of deaths is barely over 700 deaths a day. Had you been told that, and had you been told that around the world, especially in Europe, the same thing is happening, that Germany has basically ended death, uh, that uh, that there are other countries in the European Union uh, where there are very few deaths on a daily basis, that uh, that their numbers have gone down precipitously. Had you been told that, you would have said, wow, that's really good news. I mean, just over 700 deaths a day, average age somewhere around 80, but they will not tell us, maybe even higher than that, at least 40% of deaths in nursing homes, uh, or or similar facilities, and and it, and a country of 327 million people, 700 deaths a day. Well, obviously tragic for those people and for their families. Uh, when you consider all the circumstances, that is a situation that is nowhere near catastrophic, nowhere near uh, cause, causing a panic. But because we have an increase in the number of cases, the media, as I predicted they would, has cherry-picked on a consistent basis to try to support the narrative that we are in great trouble, that this is, we are headed for a second wave, that uh, there are spikes everywhere, that the reopening is causing this. And I have to say, (laughs) I was wrong about one element of this with regard to the news media. Uh, You may recall that a couple episodes ago, I I asked the question, so is the media, after the protests and the riots, are they going to pretend that there are no spikes? Or are they going to somehow blame the spikes on the protests and the riots? And I even joked that this was going to cause a great deal of confusion and consternation in the mainstream news media uh, newsrooms. Because there's no good option here. There's no good path. And I mistakenly thought, naively, They've got to pick a path, right? You, you cannot possibly uh, just ignore the fact that you said, and the media did, that it was perfectly okay for thousands and thousands of people to be protesting in the streets, many people without masks, riots, looting, the whole bit, and all that's perfectly fine, and then not blame any sort of spike on the same actions, the protests, the, the, the looting, the rioting, what have you. I honestly didn't think they would be able to pull off what they have done, which is to not pick a lane, pretend that the protests and the riots had absolutely nothing to do with any of this, and instead highlight the spikes. But get this, they're still blaming spikes on Memorial Day on Memorial Day activities. You cannot be serious! Even though there's no evidence, like for instance in the Ozarks in Missouri, that Missouri has stated emphatically there's zero evidence that anything happened because of Memorial Day activities. Uh, And of course, it was just after Memorial Day when all these protests and these riots began. And so uh, it, it is astonishing to me. It's it's it is it is mind blowing that the news media, with a straight face, can say, "Whoa, boy, wow!" Over the last couple of weeks, we've just seen some very alarming trends in the numbers. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, but, but no mention at all, no mention of all that there were thousands and thousands of people in the streets congregating very close to each other in these protests that the left and 
and the media completely embraced, did not criticize at all. In fact, it sometimes promoted and then mitigated, of course, the rioting and looting aspect of all of this. It's amazing. It's absolutely, it's just, it is, it is unbelievable. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, and a lot of people are starting to see this. I mean, it's, it's very transparent, but I don't know if it's enough to really change, uh, you know, the national public perception of all of this. Uh, but I agree that there are some concerning numbers. The, the numbers in Arizona bother me. The numbers in uh, California, Texas, and Florida do not bother me as much because people do not understand the concept of rate of increase. Here's let me let me give you a little math lesson, folks. And apparently the news media never passed uh, like fifth or sixth grade math. When you start with low numbers, like ridiculously low numbers, like lower than any one of these supposed experts told you was even theoretically possible, which has happened in California and in Texas and in Florida. Remarkably low numbers of new cases, all right? When you start with a very low baseline and then you dramatically increase testing and your negative test rate still maintains itself as well over 90%, as it is countrywide in the United States of America right now. So you continue with this incredibly high negative test rate, but you increase the number of tests so that just by nature, just by happenstance, you're going to start catching, using this fishing net analogy that I've used previously, you're going to start catching a larger number of new cases which are going to be less virulent cases by definition, because sometimes you're just going to get them by accident. They're going to be people that don't even realize they're sick, but they're just getting tested for just for the heck of it or because they have to because of their job or what have you. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to see an increase in the number of new cases. And because you started at such a low number, you're going to see a dramatic percentage increase in the short run. In the short run, you're going to see a dramatic percentage increase. And my God, it's the, I don't know what it is. There seems to be a, a liberal conservative divide over uh, this issue of rate of increase. Uh, to me, rate of increase has never been all that impactful, uh, especially in a very, very short-term situation liberals freak out over rate of increase because liberals seem to think that that rate is never going to change, that it's always going to keep going in the same direction. Oh, my God, runaway exponential growth. We're all doomed. Run, run, help, help. Well, the only place that even came close to happening for a short period of time was New York City. And nobody is going to fuck this up as badly as New York City did. And nobody has the circumstances that New York City does. And that premise has been the biggest fallacy in this whole damn thing that we all should be treated as if we are future New York cities. That hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. So I'm not at a, uh, you know, I, I said last week I was at a four. I'm still around a four out of 10 on the concern scale. I am concerned about Arizona. I do not understand what's going on in Arizona because Arizona doesn't have the same population as uh, California, uh, Texas, and Florida. As a percentage of population, the new tests cases in California, Texas, and Florida are minuscule. And they're still not very high in Arizona. But I, I'm just, I, I would like to know what the hell is really going on in Arizona. And if there is a legitimate explanation, then my concern level is going to go down significantly. But right now, the story on deaths is just as I predicted it would be a month ago. It's actually very good. Is it going to maintain itself? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I, you know, time will tell. Uh, I do think, as we've said many times before, the next week or two will be interesting to see in which direction it goes. Uh, as far as Dr. Fauci is concerned, uh, you know, he is now, you know, he keeps going back and forth between uh, alarmism and, and trying to uh, calm people down. Uh, now he seems to be much more in, in the realm of alarmism. Uh, he's telling baseball that they shouldn't have, uh, if they have a season, which I doubt they're even going to have a season because they can't, can't come up with a, a contract that everyone agrees to. But now, he's now saying that they haven't, shouldn't have the World Series in October uh, because it gets too cold then. Well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Uh, not only does baseball have inherent social distancing, but if you can't have baseball in October, how the hell can you have football at all? And he's been very much on the anti-football uh, crusade. 
Uh, the, the media is now trying to scare the hell out of sports. The L.A. Times had a, a big article the, uh, yesterday about uh, fear of sports locker rooms uh, being a hotbed for the coronavirus. Uh, really? I mean, if, 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 if that's the way we're going to go, then we might as well stick a fork in all of us right now. And there's some evidence that, the, that this is starting to have an impact. Uh, there are NBA players that are talking about having their own league because they're afraid of the coronavirus. Uh, I, I just don't know how you're going to pull this off. You're certainly not going to pull it off with fans, even though in an outdoor stadium, I'm convinced that a, a sporting event would not have a, an impact of any major sort uh, on the coronavirus spread. But there's an awful lot of fear-mongering going on. And as far as Dr. Fauci is concerned, boy, this really blew my mind. And apparently this was not new news. Apparently he had said this previously, but it was reported as new news. Dr. Fauci, and I've mentioned this before, Dr. Fauci back in March was against masks being mandatory. He said it wasn't necessary. They could be even counterproductive. He said this on tape. He said this unequivocally. And boy, oh boy, his fans on the left, boy, they tried very hard to to come up with a rationalization for why uh, Fauci said this. Well, I was unaware until yesterday that Fauci has a cover story for why he was against masks before he was in favor of them, back when they, they suddenly became cool and a sign of, of, wo- of wokeness on the left. And if you're a bad person, you know, you're signaling your virtue by wearing a mask. Not that masks don't have value in certain circumstances. Of course they do. Obviously they do. But making them mandatory for the general population is, in my view, insanity. And Fauci was against that. But guess what his cover story is now? This is really rich. He says that he knew that they had a shortage of masks and he wanted to make sure that those who really needed them had access to the good masks. And that's why he lied. That's why he lied. He said misled, but he lied. He, he actually admits to, that's his out of this, that he lied back in March because he didn't want there to be a run on the good masks. You cannot be serious. Uh, Okay, so are you lying now or were you lying then? Actually, I think he's lying now. I think he's come up with this as an explanation. But he's destroyed whatever credibility he used to have. Uh, I never thought he was all that credible to begin with, especially since he changed his his view of how many deaths within one week from up to 240 to down to 60, and he's been wrong on the 60, and I still think he's going to be wrong on the 240. (laughs) And so what exactly has he ever gotten right and he switched his, his view on the mask thing. And this mask issue is going to be huge. I, I mean, I, I really believe that, uh, you know, we are now in this very strange world where we've been doing this for three months. And now three months into this, they're going to start making masks mandatory. Uh, there's a city very near where I live that just made masks essentially mandatory. I think the county may end up caving into this all because of a tiny increase in cases because we started at such a minuscule level. And this has always been my greatest fear is that because we started at such a minuscule level, of course, there were going to be some increases as we started to get our freedoms back and to live real life. And there hasn't been all that much of an increase. I mean, it's actually been like 15 cases a day in a, in a county of 850,000 people. But because it's a rate of increase, you're allowed to panic everybody. And uh, I, I think there's a very good chance that masks are going to end up being far more required uh, than they currently uh, have been where I live and throughout the country. And the polls show that masks are popular. I find this hard to believe that this is going to maintain itself. Uh, but, you know, we're living in a virtue signaling world, and that's one of the best ways to uh, signal your virtue. And so I do think that the mask thing is going to end up becoming a larger and larger issue, bizarrely. I mean, if they were so important now, why the hell weren't we doing this three months ago when this thing was in a much more dangerous uh, level than it currently is? All right. Uh, that was a lot longer uh, analysis of the news than I anticipated. So I'm going to have to uh, get through the uh, the questions on Ask John Anything uh, a little more, a little bit more quickly than I anticipate. In fact, I might have to. Might, here's what I'm going to probably do. I'm going to break this up in two parts. We'll do part one this week, and then we'll do uh, part two 
uh, next week because I don't want to uh, give anyone short shrift because we have a lot of really good questions for this, the 111th episode of the Individual One podcast. So let me just get through uh, as many of these in, in a, a, a good of fashion as I can uh, in the time that we still have allotted for this particular episode of the podcast. I start with uh, Stu. Stu asks, why doesn't the truth matter to the news media? What's their real agenda? Well, this is not a conspiracy. This is just basic human incentives. The incentive structure has dramatically changed in the news media over the last couple of decades, largely because the business model has radically changed. And the new business model is broken. It's broken. Journalism used to be able to exist on its own without really having to worry about the bottom line. That's no longer the case. And we now live in a world where the currency, the coin of the realm, if you will, of news media is popularity, clicks, eyeballs. It is not truth. Oftentimes, truth is antithetical to the goal of eyeballs, clicks, and ratings. It used to be that the news media wouldn't need to care about such a thing because their business model was so good. Now their business model is horrendous and getting worse on a daily basis. And so now, No one wants to lose their job. We live in a world where the Twitter mob will go after you if you say something incorrect or politically incorrect, even if it happens to be truthful. You'll be canceled. You'll be destroyed. And you'll lose your job. And there are very, 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 very few good jobs out there, especially post-coronavirus. So now no one wants to lose their job. And that means everyone just goes along with the herd. Whatever the herd is saying, whatever the herd is doing, That's what becomes the truth, even though herd mentality is uh, uh, in direct contradiction to finding the truth, especially when you're trying to find the truth in in no time. I mean, that's why we constantly have rushed to judgments. That's why Twitter is is so corrosive in this area, because people are making decisions based upon fragments of information on what is popular and what makes people feel good. That's not how you determine the truth. So truth no longer matters to the news media, but it's not a conspiracy. It's simply the way the business transformed to change the incentives. And, uh, you know, I see all this. I see this all the time where, oh, John, what you're claiming is true wasn't reported by the mainstream news media. So therefore, somehow it can't be true. What you're not understanding is that the incentives are all upside down now. And in some cases, That actually makes it bizarrely more credible. Not all, because there are a lot of crackpots out there, uh, you know, saying whatever the hell they want. And just because it's on a website or on a Twitter page or has video, whatever, that doesn't make it true. You've got to be able to discern for yourself. Use your common sense. But just because something has been ignored by the mainstream news media does not mean it's not true. In fact, sometimes under particularly extreme circumstances, it can actually mean it is true. So that's that's the uh, the answer to that. Jason asks, how bad do you think the payback will be from the left if Biden wins? Is there anything beyond the obvious that they think that that you think the payback will entail? And what Jason's talking about is, okay, once Democrats get the White House, the House of Representatives and I think even the the Senate, because I think Republicans are going to have a really difficult time holding on to the Senate right now. I think the best they can reasonably do is 50-50. And if they've lost lost the presidency, for all intents and purposes, that means that the Senate is in Democratic hands. How much is, is there is there going to be payback? And, you know, my inclination, you know, the, the, the common sense inclination is, wow, it's going to be horrible because there's all this anger over the Trump presidency. Now they've got their power back. Look out. Uh, and there could be some of that. I am delusionally optimistic that Biden might be able to temper that. Uh, there's this weird phenomenon, and it's becoming more pronounced in our everyday politics. Uh, you know, they used to be called the only Nixon can go to China phenomenon. And because, you know, Nixon had enough credibility that he could go to China without looking like he was caving into China. And I'm seeing this almost all the time now uh, uh, where it, it the only people that can stand up to wokeness are those that already have the wokeness seal of approval and have not nothing to lose. In theory, Biden could be that guy. 
uh, and his mentality is certainly consistent with that. But he might be too old and too weak, and you know his vice presidential nominee might you know not might not be able to resist appealing to the urge of the left for payback. So I I am as worried about this as anybody. Uh, I am mildly optimistic that maybe Biden would temper this. There is there does seem to be a phenomenon that the left, when they're in power, seems to be less crazy than when they're out of power. I, I really believe what's happened in the last three months is that all the levers of power that the left controls, and let's be clear, I mean, my God, it has never been more obvious that the United States of America is now a leftist-controlled country. Every element of power, except the White House, and Trump has essentially become impotent as president, uh, and and the Senate is not that relevant right now. But other than the presidency and the Senate, the largest levers of power, and don't even tell me about the court system because of what we just saw with the Supreme Court, but many of the real levers of, level, levers of power are all dominated by leftists. The media, obviously, entertainment, sports, completely dominated by leftists. These blue state governors went out of their minds when it came to to the shutdown uh, and the restrictions that they put on everyday life. Uh, you I mean, my gosh, I mean, the cultural elements of, I've already discussed, you know, the UNLV rebels thing, the Aunt Jemima thing, the, even in Oklahoma state, the Mike Gundy thing, the academia science, it's all completely controlled by leftists. And they basically had a freak out and said, you know what? We're not going to wait for Trump to be removed from office. We're just going to we're just going to create a cultural coup, not in a conspiratorial sort of way. They just saw the opportunity and they took it. And the media has amplified and enabled it. And so um, you know, maybe just maybe uh, it's not going to go away. Make no mistake. They're going to need their their piece of meat uh, once Biden wins. But I'm hoping that the angst and the thirst that's driving this will somewhat be dissipated once they feel like, OK, now we control everything officially, uh, although I could be delusionally optimistic on that front. Uh, Jason also asked, do you think that Biden's AG and he, he suggested it would be Kamala Harris if she's not the vice presidential nominee, will criminally prosecute Trump and members of his cabinet? Do you want to see Trump in prison or do you think it will set a scary precedent? Um, look, I would love to see Trump punished uh, if there are real crimes that he has committed and can be proven. Uh, boy, you know, yes, it's a dangerous precedent, but Trump is the one that created this precedent. I don't think we've ever had a president like this. Is Biden going to be the Gerald Ford like he was with what Ford was with Nixon? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know that, you know, his mentality, as I've already suggested, indicates that he might be that person. I would like that the case to be hardcore, legitimate and and relevant Um but I also would kind of like to see Trump just go away. And that's all going to kind of depend on the, the, the if he loses the extent of the loss. I think that's going to be very key here. If it's a close loss, that's a very different situation than if he is drummed uh, out of office in a landslide. And so I guess I would I would like to wait for a definitive answer on that until I see the election results, assuming he even does lose. Uh, and then finally, Jason also asks, in light of her recent restructuring of her prenup, <laughs> how many days after Trump loses will Melania stick around? <laughs> and in case you missed the story, apparently, according to a new, new book, and I'm not sure I 100 percent believe this, but apparently, if you remember, Melania and Barron did not come to the White House immediately after uh, Trump uh, won and was inaugurated. Apparently, that delay was part of a negotiation ploy by Melania to to get her prenup agreement redone, which, if true, shows she's a pretty smart cookie. Um, I, I don't I don't think that the uh, the Trump uh, marriage will survive uh, very long after Trump loses, assuming that he does. Uh, Melania seems to be someone who uh, likes her public image. And she would, boy, she would enhance her public image. Her post-presidency life would be far more enhanced as the uh, ex-wife uh, of Donald Trump. And she would, the media would adore her. She would be embraced if she did it properly uh, uh, by elements of the left. And uh, so I do think that that's a very good uh, possibility. 
Amy asks, uh, given your even-handed objective evaluation of both parties, do you ever toy with becoming apolitical? I think I understand where Amy's coming from, and absolutely yes. Uh, I, I have been a political junkie since um, 1976 when I was nine years old. I, I've always been a political junkie. I have never been closer to just saying, this is all bullshit. Who the hell cares about any of this? I mean, because nothing matters. The entire Trump presidency has been about nothing actually mattering. Nothing in either direction. I mean, my gosh, it's taken a, a, a massive pandemic or the perceived catastrophic pandemic with over 100,000 Americans dying and our economy being shot to shit. Uh, for Trump to finally uh, have a, approval ratings that are anywhere close to where they ought to be. Um, and and nothing makes any sense. Everything's upside down. Logic and reason seem to have very little play. The analogy I use is golf. I've been a golfer my whole life. Golf is mostly a game of skill, but there's inherently a lot of luck involved. The luck of the bounce, you know, the luck of the break of the green. There's a lot of luck, not as much luck as there used to be in golf because of technology, but luck plays a role in golf. And that's fine. That's part of what makes golf, or at least used to make golf, an interesting sport. It's not 100% skill. There's a luck element. But if tomorrow there was no correlation between hitting a good golf shot and a bad golf shot and what the outcome would be, I would quit the game immediately. Well, that's really close to where we are in politics right now. There's no correlation between hitting a good shot and a bad shot. Sometimes there's an inverse correlation. And so, yes, uh, is the answer to your question. Uh, and as far as being apolitical, I mean, I hate I hate every element of, of every political tribe. There's not one political tribe that I have any respect for right now. And, and that actually relates to the next question. Uh, anonymous, someone who is anonymous, uh, basically asked me the question, you say you've left the never Trump conservative movement. Can you further explain what you mean by this? And what do you think uh, never Trump conservatives ought to do to be effective in the future? This is a very, very long and complicated uh, issue. Uh, as you probably are aware, since you listen to this podcast, I have always referred to myself as a never Trump conservative since the beginning of the, the Trump campaign back in 2015. I uh, was against him from the start. Uh, I became more against him as the primary campaign went along, although I was one of the first people to say, hey, wait a minute, he can actually win this nomination and even took on the, uh, the Democratic liberal uh, media prediction guru, Nate Silver. If you Google Dear Nate Silver and my name, you'll find a, a column that I wrote explaining that he's wrong back in late 2015, that Donald Trump... Uh, can't win the nomination, and the Republicans should not be freaking out about his, his very good poll numbers. So I, I, I was able to see that coming. I just didn't believe he would end up defeating Hillary Clinton in the general election, at least not the way that he did. And so I was very willing to be open to all the other people who call themselves Never Trump conservatives. And we've had many of them on this program. If you've been a longtime listener in our 111 episodes, we've had most, if not all, of the major professional never-Trump conservatives on this show. Well, in my view, not all, but almost all of them have turned out to be frauds. And what I mean by frauds is this. They're not conservatives anymore, or at least they're not willing to articulate their conservative beliefs because they're afraid of pissing off their new audience and their new audience is not. And this goes back to why the media is so badly broken. The incentive structure is all off because the business model is all off. There are no never Trump conservatives in the population. I don't know what our percentage is, is but it's probably one percent, maybe two percent of people who are hardcore conservatives, but who hate Donald Trump. So you can't run a business appealing to those one or two percent, especially when a huge percentage of those people aren't even on social media. So who do you have to appeal to if you're a never Trump conservative? You're essentially a minstrel show for liberals. That's what they have become. That's how they get booked on MSNBC and CNN. That's where they get all their retweets on Twitter. It's from liberals. It's from other liberals in the media who love seeing so-called conservatives rip into Donald Trump because it makes 
them feel better about their own views. It is it, it substantiates their views. It's basically a therapy session. That's what this is. It's a it, never Trump conservatives have become a, a cog in this wheel of a therapy session for liberals to deal with the Trump presidency. That's what it is. And that's just not who I am. And my first inclination this was the case was the Brett Kavanaugh nomination and controversy involving Christine Ford. When I looked at the Christine Ford allegation against Brett Kavanaugh, I was like, this is bullshit. This is completely absurd on every level. And the more we learned about it, the more it was obvious that this was an attempted destruction of a man simply to prevent him from being a Supreme Court nominee. Now, as a conservative, I agree with Brett Kavanaugh uh, from a, a judicial standpoint, a judicial philosophy standpoint. And I'm also, as a conservative, I care mostly about truth and justice. And I don't want a good person destroyed over something they didn't do over really very, very unproven allegations that didn't make any sense with no real evidence, no corroboration. I mean, you're going to take somebody out. You better bring something real. And so from a conservative standpoint, there was zero question in my mind, I'm supporting Brett Kavanaugh, even though he's Trump's guy. Well, all these other never Trump conservatives were like, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no, Brett Kavanaugh, this, he, looks, he looks guilty. And even if he's not guilty, uh, you know, his judicial temperament and the way he responded to being called a rapist uh, or an abuser when he really wasn't, that disqualified him. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Now, I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt. I mean, I'm even giving, willing to give two or three strikes. And that really was the first strike for me when it came to Never Trump conservatives that they uh, were unwilling to support Kavanaugh because they didn't want to piss off their liberal audience. But then as time went on and I had more interaction with these people and, uh, and, and felt like they did me wrong uh, in, in a way that was not conservative at all, some of them, and then when I saw what happened with Joe Walsh's campaign and uh, and he had been a, you know, a good friend and he was the one that ran against Trump in the Republican uh, caucus in Iowa, which I told him on this podcast was a really bad idea to put all of his eggs in that basket. And I had an extremely bad experience with Joe Walsh, which maybe I'll, I'll are fully articulate. Maybe I will fully articulate uh, at some point in a later date, but I don't have time for it right now. But I, I no longer view Joe Walsh as a friend. I no longer view him as being credible as a conservative. He's gone off the deep end because uh, it's a career move on his part. This is the only career option he has. And he effectively told me that when he decided to run for president. He knew he was going to get fired uh, from his job as a conservative radio talk show host. So he needed a, a new chapter. He needed a new a new outlet. And it didn't work out the way that he hoped for him. And I, because, frankly, he didn't follow my uh, advice, which I wish he would have, because I think he would have been in, in a lot better position. But that's another story, as I said, for another day. But what really was the final nail in the coffin for me with Never Trump conservatives uh, was the shutdown and the most recent uh, racial unrest. Uh, because it was at that point, that was the third, second or third strike, no matter how you want to count it, uh, when conservatives didn't stand up for basic civil liberties, uh, destroying the economy, uh, over uh, responding to the virus, as we clearly did, didn't want to attack blue state governors because they didn't want to piss off their liberal audience. And then they completely threw the police under the bus uh, under these uh, these most recent uh, news stories, uh, totally buying into the liberal narrative. Uh, I'm sorry, that's those aren't conservatives. Those are people who are just trying to make a living or stay remotely relevant by appealing to liberals by selling out their whatever is left of their principles. And that's not me. I mean, I, that doesn't you know whatever you can decide if that's a good move on my part, bad move on my on my part. It doesn't matter. That's just not who I am. I can't do it. And I've lost a lot of respect for almost all, not all. There's still a couple of decent ones left, but almost all of the never Trump conservatives uh, who are in what I call the professional uh, category. All right. Now, um, as I suggested, I have a lot more questions for Ask John Anything uh, that I'm not going to have time to get to in this particular episode of the podcast. So I'm going to save them uh, for next week, but I can promise you they are very good and they are well worth uh, waiting for. So we'll get to that uh, next Wednesday, but I, I will end this particular episode 
with uh, an analysis of the the current situation with regard to re-election. As I've already suggested, Trump's in big trouble. And it's not just a column that I wrote on Monday essentially predicting that we're two weeks away from being able to say that Trump is done. If you read my column that I released on Monday on Mediate, and you can find it at Individual One Pod, you'll see I'm making the case that Trump's not done yet, but if things don't get any better in the next two weeks, you might be able to say he is done. Stick a fork in him. And there was some more polling in that direction today. There's a CNBC poll out of battleground states where Donald Trump does not do better than 46% in any of the six key states, the key swing states that he won in 2016, including Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona. He doesn't win any of them, and he doesn't get more than 46% in any of those states. That is a very, very big problem for him. Uh, There is absolutely no question if the election was today, Trump would lose and he would lose handily. He might even lose in a a relative landslide. Uh, Speaking of Michigan, there's another poll out uh, that has him losing Michigan right now by 16 percent, 5539. So there's not even like there's a, a bunch of undecideds there. That's a death knell. And that's a state he won In 2016, that's a state that is extraordinarily not just key, but it's very, very similar to Pennsylvania. Both Pennsylvania and Michigan have Democratic governors who went way overboard on the shutdown. They both have large white populations with black cities. Those are the demographics that in 2016 played into Trump's hands. And if he is getting blown out in Michigan, that tells me he ain't going to win Pennsylvania. Because they're very similar states. And if he loses Michigan and Pennsylvania, he's got to win Wisconsin. Weirdly, he's doing better in Wisconsin than he is in Michigan right now. And maybe Pennsylvania, although there's not as much polling recently that I've seen that's reliable in Pennsylvania. But he's also got problems in Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona. And if he loses four of those six, he's got no shot. He's got absolutely no shot, and he's losing in all six right now. So um, while I still see a path for Trump's reelection, and we'll talk more because some of the questions that we have for the Ask John Anything episode uh, were directed at what I would do if I was Biden's campaign manager and what I would do if I was Trump's campaign manager. Unfortunately, I will have to wait until next week to to provide uh, that analysis, but uh, we will do that, and, of course, we'll also provide whatever Uh, news stories are uh, occurring between today and next week. But as of right now, while there is a path for Trump's reelection, it's getting really narrow and it's getting uglier and uglier. And it's requiring more and more of almost a perfect storm in his direction. And clearly some major, major news events, specifically the virus staying under control. And, you know, of course, the media is ready to jump on the idea that we're heading for a second wave. We'll see, probably between now and next week, uh, a lot more information as to whether or not that is just panic and that's media hype or whether or not there's some reality to that. So I'm going to put right now the chances of Trump's reelection at 25 percent. That might actually be a little bit uh, optimistic in his direction, but uh, I'm still unwilling to call him completely dead until there's no more pulse. So I'll say 25% as is usual. Please know uh, wagering and keep your social distance. Until next week, uh, please remember to uh, subscribe, rate, review, and share this program via social media and follow us on Twitter at individual the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.